to Overcoming Financial Stress with the Saver and the Spender. I'm your host and the spender, Michael Dickey. At Fiscal Fitness Phoenix, we are the worldwide leaders in reducing financial stress. And our mission is that everyone, from the person that is overwhelmed with their finances and in debt up to their eyeballs, to the person that makes good money, has amazing goals, and wants to achieve financial independence, finally to the person that feels a calling to help others by becoming a financial coach, learn how to take the stress out of money. Hello, 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 everyone. This is Coach Kelsa, and I am super excited about today's episode. Uh, It's something that I feel really passionately about, and it's actually going to be a six-part series that we're going to be talking about all around this idea of a cognitive bias and how it affects us on a regular basis around our financial decision-making. And I don't know if you guys know, but there's not a lot of information out there when it comes to money, actually. It's really one of those topics that I think is understudied. And oftentimes when I notice with our clients that they're all experiencing something very similar, I really have to do a lot of my own research. And one of the things that I started to research was really the thought patterns and the way people make decisions and the way they think through decisions around money. And I discovered the topic of a cognitive bias. And there really wasn't a lot out there on how these types of things, a bias, affects our money. And what I had to do was research a variety of different biases that we have and really observe with my clients how it shows up in regard to money. And it has inspired this podcast series because I, once I realized it, I see it happening over and over and over again. And I witness it and experience it even with myself. And I didn't even realize it before. And I thought, I have to share this information. I have to get this out there because it really is affecting us on a regular basis. So you may be wondering, well, what is a cognitive bias? And it's really this systematic error in thinking that affects the decisions and the judgments that we make. And the key word in that definition is systematic, because it's so systematic that it's sort of this universal error that a lot of us make. And Because it's so common, companies can actually seize this faulty thought process that we might have and this fault in our thinking and actually leverage it for their own pricing models to influence the way we make decisions. So it's a type of error in thinking that occurs when we are processing and interpreting information typically quickly. Overall, it's not a bad thing that our brain has to process a ton of information. Um, It's a very powerful mechanism, if you will, and it's subject to limitations. Um, And these are often a result of our brain's attempt to simplify information processing. So it makes total sense that our brain has to, you know, make all these observations and jump to a conclusion, if you will, very quickly. And so there are rules of thumb that will help us make sense of the world and reach decisions with relative speed. So overall, it's not a bad thing, but what happens is sometimes we process this information so quickly that we don't even realize we've jumped to some conclusions 
And if it affects our financial decision-making, we could be spending money for the wrong reasons. Okay. And again, chances are we don't even realizing it. We don't even realize it. Excuse me. So when you are making judgments and decisions about the world around you, we like to think that we are objective and rational and totally logical and capable of taking in and evaluating all of this information that's available to us. When unfortunately, these biases actually trip us up sometimes, leading to poor decisions or bad judgments. Uh, They're not necessarily all bad. I just want to make sure I keep reiterating that. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things that I was reading about was how psychologists believe that many of these actually serve a very adaptive purpose. So they allow us to reach decisions quickly. You know, if you are in a dangerous or threatening situation, if you're walking down a dark alley and you spot a dark shadow that seems to be following you, a bias might lead you to assume that it's a mugger and that you need to exit the alley as quickly as possible. In other words, it is a conclusion that will hopefully help to keep you safe. Now, the dark shadow may simply have been caused by a flag waving in the breeze, but relying on these mental shortcuts often can get us out of the way of danger or out of threatening situations where a decision needs to be made very quickly. However, if we're not careful, when we're not being threatened by something, they can oftentimes undermine critical thinking and they make us vulnerable to faulty beliefs or bad decisions, like I was saying. So the good news is that they are um, something we can become aware of now that we know about it and we can neutralize or minimize them um, and their negative effects simply by paying closer attention. So in other words, they're sort of debiasing techniques that we uh, can implement that are simple, effective, um, and can really help us when making spending decisions. So we are going to be covering these in a six-part series, and I'm going to cover six of them. The six that I chose because I see them as the most prevalent with our clients. They are the, the ones that really catch our clients up and that we can observe very um, often, very quickly. And because of that, it's likely that many of our listeners are experiencing them, them as well. So today we are going to be talking all about the anchoring bias. And this is the tendency to rely too heavily on the very per, excuse me, first piece of information you learn. So relying too heavily on the very first piece of information you learn. So when does this show up? Let's say you go out for a nice meal and on the menu, you see a $100 bottle of wine, a $50 bottle of wine, a $40 bottle of wine, and a $20 bottle of wine. Well, it's likely that the $40 and $50 bottle of wine are looking like great deals compared to the $100 bottle. The idea is that you've anchored the price of those two bottles on the first price that you saw, which maybe was the $100 bottle of wine. So restaurants oftentimes understand this effect very well, and they may only keep one bottle of the expensive wine on the, on the premises or in the building because really that larger price bottle is only there to actually help them to sell the mid-priced wine. 
And so they know no one's really going to order the $100 bottle. They're actually going to buy one of the lower price bottles because now it seems like a really good value compared to the larger price. And imagine if you're out for just a normal meal versus like if it's something that you want to go celebrate. Maybe it was a really great day. Maybe there was a promotion in the family or a graduation for one of the kids or something and you're going out to celebrate. And so you're thinking, we want to buy something nicer. We don't want to buy the cheapest bottle, but we don't want to buy the most expensive either. That Those $40 and $50 bottle of wines seem better because of that 100 pr- um, price bottle. Another really good example of where price anchoring happens is when it comes to a sale price. So if you imagine that you are buying something and it's a $100 item, but it's on sale for $50, you will likely be basing the price of that item off of the main price and thinking you're getting a good deal because it's on sale. A really good example of this is with JCPenney. And you might have uh, heard uh, a few years ago, they were in the news a lot because their CEO at the time tried to do a pricing change where the company overall got rid of sale prices. So they lowered the prices of everything, but then didn't offer sales and their you know profits just completely plummeted. And what they found was it was actually better to raise the price of things, but then offer a discount. People thought they were getting a better deal that way because they were anchoring the price of that item, not on whether or not it was a good price for that item, but because it was a good price compared to the retail price, which was on the sticker tag. And the anchoring happens when you see that retail price. Another really great example is a buy one, get one half off sale. This is a perfect example of a strategy, an anchoring strategy that's used all the time in retail. You probably will spend more money than you intend to just because the second item seems cheaper than the anchor item. So the first item, the buy one that you pay full price for is actually considered the anchoring item. Get the other one half off is you will likely buy that just because it feels like a discount. And I know, man, you guys, this just happened to me. We, uh, at the end of last year, obviously went shopping for new outfits because we wanted to take our family pictures and I wanted us all to match and, and all of that. And I went to a, a store, a women's clothing store to buy a dress. And sure enough, I found the dress and they had 60% off your second item. So buy anything in the store, get the second item for 60% off. So I thought I got to buy something at 60% off, right? And I looked, you know, at a pair of shoes and a pair of earrings. I ended up buying a pair of earrings, um, which I did not need at all, but it felt like such a good deal. Uh, And if you guys remember from an earlier episode, I talked about how I never buy earrings from a store. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is every time we go on vacation, we go to a new place. I will buy a pair of earrings from that place, usually like a small shop or something in a downtown area or a unique location in that city or in that town. Um, For me, every time I put on a pair of earrings, I remember that vacation. I remember the trip we took. I remember the kinds of things we did. It is just a tradition that I've always had. So I own a lot of earrings because of that, but they're all very memorable for me. And because I like to buy earrings when I go on vacation, I really don't ever, um, with this one exception, buy a pair of earrings 
just because from a, from a, you know, retail store. Uh, but in this case I did, it totally worked on me, you guys. And, you know, I, at the time I didn't realize and it wasn't until I came home and I was talking with a client about it and we were going over this anchoring bias and I thought it just dawned on me like, Oh my God, it, it totally worked on me in that instant. So that's why we're talking about this because it really is something we're faced with on a regular basis. And you want to be aware of how it's affecting your decision-making. There is an amazing YouTube video that goes over um, the anchoring bias, helps to describe it a bit better, give you some examples. We're going to post a link to that YouTube video in the show notes. Uh, so be sure to take a look at that and watch it. I, you don't really have to even watch the whole video, maybe just the first two minutes or so, but it's, so it's really short, really fast, uh, but does a really good job of explaining how the anchoring bias is showing up for a lot of us. Uh, another way that you might be faced with this is in a salary negotiation. So if you're going for a new job or a promotion, whoever makes the first offer establishes a range of sort of reasonable possibilities in each person's mind. So it's really fascinating to me. You sort of want to try and be one of the first people, you know, or the first to say the price because that's what anchors it from then on. Business owners, if you are listening and you are one of our business owners and you're responsible for setting uh, the prices of your products or services, you can use a bias to set the expectations of others by putting the information you know, out there on the table for consideration. So if you're quoting your price or your package first, and even if the client says that they were expecting it to be lower, it's likely that they simply anchored their estimate off of your initial number from then on anyway. Okay. So the idea is that they might be coming in with some perception of what it is that you're going to charge them, but they don't really know. And then as soon as you say the price, they're going to anchor from there um, what they think your services or your product is worth. Now, how do we combat anchoring? Now that you know that it's probably out there and you're probably falling for it, how do we combat it? And the trouble with anchoring is that it's actually very difficult to ignore because once you have a set price of something in mind, it can be really tough to remember that the anchor you've been using might not have anything to do with a rational price you want to spend. So once you see the retail price on the tag, it's really hard to ignore that number once you've seen it. Even knowing about the process of anchoring and how restaurants and stores and advertisers use this process doesn't necessarily make it easier to make a smart decision around this. So it's not to say it's impossible. So some of the things you can do is that it's important to put your own anchor to the amount of money you would otherwise spend. And this is called self-anchoring. I, uh, you know, when we're working on budgets for something, it is really important. I'll ask the client, you know, well, what would you like to spend on that? I'll say, I don't know, because I don't even know like what a range is for that. And what they're doing is they're waiting to get anchored on something so that they can then determine their budget. It's really important to set a valuable figure for yourself. What am I willing to spend on this? What is this worth to me before I go in and see what everybody else would be charging for it? If those, what they would charge is like way higher than what you can afford, maybe it's not worth it to you anymore, right? But if you wait to set a budget and if you wait to set a price until you know what other people charge, you are allowing them to anchor you, okay? So self-anchoring is a really important exercise for all of us. I also want to point out that it's easier to fall victim to anchoring 
when we're faced with a decision that we know very little about. So maybe the first time we're buying a new electronic or we're visiting a destination and we've never been there before and we haven't heard anything about it. We haven't talked to anybody or we don't know anybody who's been there. We haven't done any research whatsoever. So research and price comparison shopping comes into play because you kind of have to set the number ahead of time. Otherwise, as soon as you begin researching, you could get anchored. But then the more research and the more price comparison shopping that you do, the idea is that what you're trying to do is challenge the anchor. So that way, the first number you see isn't the number you attach to. You want to try and find all these ways where you can spend less money or challenge the anchor that you saw first if you go into a decision that you know very little about on the front end. Okay. So let's say you're buying, I think electronic is a really good example for me because I tend not to know much about this stuff. I try to defer to Michael and I say, like, I don't really care about that. You know, usually I'm like, just find us a good value. Um, so for example, let's say we want to buy a new printer, you know, printer, copier, scanner, sort of combination thing. And the very first one I Google and it says the best one right now is $799. Well, I could easily then see one for $499 and think that this one's a really good deal because the very first one I saw was $799. Now, the more research I do and the, the more comparison of features and, you know, checking the different discount stores and is there, you know, pre-owned and that kind of thing, the more I may be, maybe I can find one for 279, right? And I can start to challenge the very first anchor that I saw. Another really smart move with that is before I even begin to look at printers is ask myself, what do we want to spend on this? What is the maximum amount that we're willing to spend on this printer? What is our budget for this amount? You know, that way, as we start digging, we can ignore all of the options that are above that number, okay? And we can start to compare options that are less. So take a moment to sort of decide when you're going into something, you know, what can $25 buy me that I would love to have? So let's say you're thinking of buying something because it's just a good deal and it's $25. Well, what else could $25 buy me that I would love to have? And try to compare the price to something else, you know, another item or another feature or something that you would love to have. Then you can easily figure out, is this $25 worth giving up right now for this item or would I rather spend this $25 on this other thing? That kind of anchoring is much more rational and will actually help you save money and ensure that you're making a really good decision and not just falling for this, you know, retailer's trap, if you will. You know, a good strategy for determining if a sale price is a good deal is, is to mentally block out the regular list price. Um, so that way you're not basing it off of, is this a good deal? It's, is this worth it for me? Does this still represent a good deal for the item or for me or for the budget that I have? Um, just based on the number that I'm seeing, the, the price that I'm going to pay for it, regardless of what the normal price is. Now, this can be really hard to do if you've already seen the list price. You know, you can try to do this anyway. This approach can help you if you view the price, you know, of a great deal, purchase more realistically. So if if you tend to find yourself shopping and buying things because it's such a great deal, then this approach could be really valuable for you. Another option is to ask yourself, how many hours do I need to work? Um... 
you know, how many hours will it take me to make this much money if I'm going to spend this amount of money? Or how many days will one of my other goals be delayed if I spend this much money? So comparing it again to not the item itself, but what you're giving up as a result is one way of overcoming, you know, the price anchoring or the, the great deal syndrome, if you will. So this is um, the anchoring bias. And again, this is just one cognitive bias that we face on a regular basis where our brain needs to process information really quickly, but then that affects the way we make decisions. We are going to be covering in future episodes five other ones that you might be facing. I would love to hear from you though. Please drop us a comment or send us a message and let us know if you have found yourself facing this and maybe not realizing it, if it's been helpful for you. Um, Again, there was just something recently, those earrings where I thought, oh my God, I totally fell victim to that. And I would love to hear from you if you at least gained some self-awareness around this. And overall, just what you think. Uh, I think we all have those family members where we think, oh, they just come home with things all the time because it was a good deal, but it's not really something they need. They you know, please share this with them. It might be a really great episode for them to hear. I hope this was valuable for you guys. And I look forward to sharing the other five with you in a future episode. I will talk to you guys soon. If you would like more information about our financial coaching programs or how we can help you take the stress out of money, please check out our website at www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. Join our private Facebook group by searching Facebook for overcoming financial stress with fiscal fitness. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com and join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. And we'll see you on the next episode of Overcoming Financial Stress with the Saver and the Spender, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money.